the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses, or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And hour number two is underway. Thanks again for joining us. I told you we were loaded up with great guests today. Thanks to Dr. Everett Piper. Last segment coming up at 1035. It will be Congressman Bill Johnson. Very much looking forward to catching up with him for the first time since the Spring Freedom Banquet last month uh, down in Akron. And now, of course, it's Kersenau time. Yes, unexpected Kersenau is the best kind of Kersenau. You thought you missed him because I wasn't on the air yesterday, but Peter has agreed to come on with me on this Wednesday. Peter Ker- Oh, and by the way, I should remind everybody, it's the 12th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Peter, good to have you back, my friend. How are you? Great to be back. 87 days to the Browns opener. Only 28 days to the All-Star Game here in Cleveland. You know what? I would trade the All-Star Game 100 times over for a World Series. Oh my! Are you kidding me? <laughs> they could never have. I don't care if we ever had another All Star game in the in basketball or football or anything else. We can get one of those. Uh, that would be phenomenal. Uh, hey Pete, before we get into the news of the day, and there's a lot of politics that I do want to talk about with you. Since you always start our our conversations with a little mini sports report, there, a um, lot of controversy over the U.S. women's team in the World Cup yesterday, uh, beating Thailand 13 to nothing. Now, anybody who says they should have stopped trying to score goals, I think is an idiot, because this is the name of the game. Uh, you never stop playing. I don't think they ran the score right. up, per se. But what some are, some are criticizing that, and I think they're dumb, but, but what some are criticizing, and I think there's an argument to be had here, is the way they handled it with goals 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. They're celebrating as if they had just scored the game winner in a 1-0 match, you know, in the Gold Cup final. They're, mm-hmm. they're kind of rubbing the tie, the tie, tie, tie noses? Yeah, tight. Uh, Thailand, uh, a player's noses into a little bit with their over-the-top celebrations. Where you come down on that? Well, you know, look, um, I'm an old football player, a rough and tumble, and I think, though, there has to be a sense of decorum. I agree. You know, I, I remember there was some game, and I don't remember which one it was, where a high school team beat another high school team, something like 100 and nothing in basketball. I think, mm-hmm. or, or, I think it was a uh, girls' team. 
uh, or 100 to 2. And yeah. um, it, there comes a point where, you know, their sportsmanship does come into play. I think you should play hard. I, should, I think you should run up as many points as you possibly can. But at a certain point, you know, maybe put uh, your second team in, your third, third team in. Uh, there is a sense of sportsmanship that I think transcends the you know, imperative to score points. You don't let the foot off the 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 gas pedal until such time as you know the situation is not in doubt whatsoever and once you start getting to 10 to nothing you know keep scoring but you don't have to make a big deal about it uh, my say i have the same opinion with respect to um end zone celebrations um jim brown said it and the greatest football player in the history of of mankind said act like you've been there before um, and I think, you know, you can celebrate from time to time. I'm not saying mild celebrations aren't merited. And when you're in the Super Bowl, if the Browns ever make it to the Super Bowl, I'd be stunned if nobody celebrated. But still, act like you've been there before. Be mature about it. Yeah, I, I guess I'm just looking at it like in a baseball game. You know, if you've just got a team and, and it's, it's, it's already 17 to nothing and you're not quite to the mercy roll inning yet, you're still in the fourth. And, and, and each time somebody jacks one, if they're jumping around the bases as if they had, uh, you know, just won the World Series rather than just kind of head down, look, you know, hey, we just got to finish this thing out here. Get me out when you can get me out. I can't not swing though. Yeah, that'd be that'd be one way to do it. You know, they could have kept scoring the goals and just kind of put their head down and said, "All right, you know, don't yep. let's not let's not you know." But anyway, I just thought I'd ask because it's it's a national That's why sports you got that conversation. Rule in baseball, you know, with yeah. respect to not showing up the pitcher and stuff like that. You know, I think there's there's a sense of decorum there. But uh, you know, I'm all for rough and tumble, score as many points as you can, but don't be a jerk about it. Very well said. All right, Pete, let's talk about politics now. Particularly, let's talk about identity politics, because this is really the only kind of politics that the uh, Democrats practicing. I was just pointing out uh, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand before you came on. Kirsten Gillibrand, one of these zero percenters in the uh, Democratic cesspool of candidates. Uh, she is. She's trying everything she can. She's, to, she's comparing pro-life judges being appointed to appointing racists or anti-Semites or homophobes to the bench as well. So apparently if you support uh, life and not killing babies, that means you are like somebody who is a racist or a Jew hater or, or, or a gay basher or whatever the case might be. So she's touching on as many of the different identities and the various demographics that she can, saying that we are here for each and every one of you. Um, this has been a failure of, a, of an idea for the Democrats for, for a very long time, yet every single member of the of the cesspool, as far as I can see, is embracing it. Yeah, um, a couple thoughts about that. There's so many thoughts about that, but uh, one of the first ones is, and I think your audience has recognized it, and by the way, I want to give a shout out to my friends at McFan, the Medina County Friends and Neighbors, uh, was out there last weekend again, and they're always a great group. We have so many great groups we're blessed with here in Northeast Ohio, and I, I really love that organization. They allowed me to speak again for a gazillion hours, but um, in talking to folks like that, what I think they're chagrined about is we have an entire political movement that has no policy ideas whatsoever. They are simply uh, uh, based on identity. And here you've got something that's utterly not just despicable uh, and brain dead. This is, it's unimaginable that someone would equate um, someone who is pro-life with a racist we could talk, Bob, for hours about this um, from a substantive standpoint to indicate or, or suggest that somehow those that support the life position are racist. That really upends the entire 
uh, I think, philosophical narrative of this, because if there's anyone who could or should be able to understand how the pro-life movement is anti-racist, I think it's uh, most of black pastors out there. You talk to Martin Luther King Jr. when he was alive. uh, They understood it. Forty percent of all abortions in this country are performed on black women. I just throw that out there as one statistic, and I give you a hundred others. You know, the left likes to talk about genocide and all this other stuff. Tiny Hesey Coates talk about the use of black bodies. Black bodies are being slaughtered. And we've got these politicians out there who have upended the paradigm. And Kristen Gillibrand, as we all know, is, as a number of people have said this, is not a surprise, is one of the great panderers of all time. She switched her position on virtually everything in order to, to accommodate the radical left-wing base of her party. Uh, but I saw her say that in a replay, and I, it's one of those jaw-dropping moments when you say that, and I don't mean to be hyperbolic about this, Bob, but I think that this is an accurate description. Uh, I started to ask myself, how far has evil penetrated our society and our political class that someone can say something like that and say it thinking that there would be no blowback on national television It's uh, truly extraordinary, and I think we've crossed a point. It's not merely that this idiot politician, and I don't like saying that, except she is an idiot in the truest sense of the world. It's one thing when a politician panders like this and makes a stupid statement, but it's another thing when it passes somewhat unremarkably among an entire political party, and that much of the political of that political party embraces that. We have crossed a very dangerous line when that happens. But you know, like aside from that, um, you've got identity politics on steroids throughout the Democratic Party, throughout the left, because they're completely bereft of ideas. Consider, Bob, if they had to discuss at great length their policy ideas, despite the fact that the media tries to uh, soften it, tries to cover for them, tries to elide the situation. The, uh, the only policy ideas they have are, as I've said before, literally insane these days. There was a study that just came out that showed that the Medicare for All proposal, which they've all embraced, would cost $32 trillion. And by the way, Bob, why do we have to reform health care when I thought Obamacare was supposed to have done that? They promised, they said, my goodness, it's going to be nirvana in terms of health care in this country, and we're going to cover everybody. Premiums are going to go down deductibles are going to go down, all these things, and now it's worse than it ever was before. But they want to get control over the keys to the health care system once again. It's not enough. Uh, and how many times are we going to give over to these people after sheer demonstrations of incompetence the ability to cr- control various aspects of our policy? You have to be really dumb to, it's like giving a, a drunk the keys to a car, getting into a crash, surviving it, and then repeating it again. Um, anyway, that's my that's my take on Kristen Gillibrand. Well, yeah, yeah and, and I, I didn't mean to speci- specify her and just specifically target her because they're all the same. I mean, honestly, that's that's the thing about this. And and Pete, I want to get a quick time out here so I have more room on the back end to talk about somebody who's not part of the cesspool of candidates, but who is indeed trying to interject herself into the presidential political field by calling for the impeachment of President Trump. And yes, she is one of Cleveland's own. I'll get your thoughts on that as we continue right here on AM 1420, The Answer. France Authority here on AM 1420. The answer.
right, 1022, we continue now on AM 1420. The answer, our friend Peter Kersenow, Cleveland attorney, best-selling author, a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. All right, Pete, I just wanted to kind of throw this at you again as we talk about the Democrats' uh, attacks on Donald Trump and, of course, the ongoing movement in the uh, in the Congress to impeach him. Marsha Fudge is at it. Yesterday, she added her voice to those of others calling for an impeachment inquiry. She attacked President Trump, called him a liar on the House floor. In a, in a five-minute speech, she called Trump supporters, of which you and I would be among them, racists, steeped in religious beliefs, ignorant, or as my mother used to say, this is a quote, just plain dumb. She called for his impeachment in 2017. She said uh, that Nancy Pelosi's hesitancy in moving forward with efforts to impeach, impeach Trump are problematic. She thinks uh, the only reason Pelosi is uh, is holding back is because of her belief that, that it would further polarize this country. But she said it's already divided because of Trump. So Trump should be impeached. He's a racist. His supporters are racist, who, kind of similar to Barack Obama's old line about clinging to guns and religion, uh, were steeped in religious beliefs, were ignorant and flat-out dumb. Uh, I wanted to give a chance to respond particularly as it pertains to a woman whose district remains one of the most illiterate in not just Ohio, but in the country, uh, one of the poorest and one of the uh, worst in terms of uh, unemployment numbers. What is she doing for the people in her district that gives her license to uh, go, go at President Trump and his supporters in such a way? She's doing absolutely nothing. I live in her district. She's my congresswoman. And the question I keep asking, uh, you know, look, we had Bev Goldstein running against her would have been a 6,000% improvement, unfortunately. Um, a lot of people vote based on identity. Marsha Fudge, someone please tell me what Marsha Fudge has done for her district or America Generally, she's been in office for a long time. She's going to be there forever. Once many of these members of the Congressional Black Caucus get a position, they're there for life. They never get voted out. And that's a shame. That that says a lot about their constituents, too. And I don't mean to be demeaning their constituents, but somebody needs to take a look at her record and say, what has she done? You're right, Bob. Two-thirds of her district is functionally illiterate. We've got a significant poverty rate there, too. There's all kinds of things that need to be addressed, but she's talking about impeachment. Did she say on what basis? Somebody please ask these Democrats, what is the driving force other than pure politics for impeachment? You have nothing. What's the evidence that Donald Trump is a racist? They keep saying he's a racist. And as I've said a million times before, if he's a racist, he's the most incompetent racist in history because the black community is prospering like at no other time in history as a direct result of Trump policies. And I will tell you, as I've said before, when I met with Trump, one of his great obsessions was he asked, what can we do to lower the unemployment rate and improve prospects in the black community? That was his chief concern when we talked about the Department of Labor. So for someone who's a racist, he's sure gotten it backwards. He really has. But I wish that the media acolytes, the CNNs, MSNBCs, and every place else that these folks appear on would simply ask the question, give me your evidence of racism. You say he's this. And by the way, for him to be a racist, we've all seen the scores of photographs with Trump and Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton where they're smiling and cheesing it up with him. But now that he's president as a Republican, he is a racist. Son of a gun. Uh, I don't know how he made this transformation without anybody noticing it before. This is a guy who got awards from these various organizations for all of his endeavors. So for a, a Marsha Fudge... 
I would simply ask, what have you done for me lately? What have you done as representative? Right. I know this much, Bob, and we've talked about this before, that the, uh, the, when she was the head of the Congressional Black Caucus, one of the most useless organizations in the United States, and that's saying something, I had sent several pieces of correspondence as a member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights asking what the Congressional Black Caucus was doing about the devastating effect illegal immigration has on the black community in terms of wages and job prospects. And it is demonstrable. We've got all the evidence. Never got a response. Never. Never. Who's the racist? Who's doing things that actually harm one race versus the other? Whereas with Trump, we can show a direct line from his policies to increase black employment, increase black wages and homeownership rates. Under Obama, all those things were either backsliding or static. So he is a really bad racist. And Marsha Fudge should be held to account for her lack of production and her inability to support her claims that he's a racist or that he is whatever names they want to, uh, uh, you know, ascribe to him and that they have any basis whatsoever for impeachment. Full disclosure here, Pete, uh, I should point out, when Marsha Fudge made all those comments on the House floor in that five-minute speech, she claimed she was reading a letter from one of her constituents. But nonetheless, she chose to read it into the record on the House floor as uh, obviously something that she believes herself. So we should should point that out. Uh, and I have no, I have no smooth uh, transition to this, uh, 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 Pete, but I'm just going to jump to it because we're short on time here and go to Joe Biden uh, talking again about the cesspool of candidates. I've heard a lot of whoppers before. I've heard a lot of uh, unbelievable um, campaign promises made before, but did you hear what he said yesterday? Joe Biden, elect me and we'll cure cancer. He literally said, if I'm elected president, we're going to cure cancer. Now, I'm almost at a loss for words. Like you, Pete, that takes a lot for guys like us to be at a loss for words. I'm almost, except to say this, that if he knows the the cure for cancer and he's not sharing it unless he's elected, then he's Satan, just to point that out. Go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, we'd, we'd be a lot better off if, before you can cure cancer, you've got to cure idiocy. And with Joe <laughs> Biden standing in the way, that's never going to happen. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and it's not a mystery. A lot of people have said this before. Um, when I've been dealing with members of Congress and in the Senate, I'd always come away with the impression that Joe Biden was the dumbest person in the Senate. Now, that's a position that was held or uh, an opinion that was held by a lot of people. He is not ready for prime time. And if, his, if this is the best we can do, oh, boy, if this is the best Democrats can do, they really need to take a look at their bench strength. This is really horrible. Yeah, it's uh, it really is. And and according to the latest polls, by the way, there was a new uh, a poll that came out today. The top six Democrats uh, in the Democratic polling all enjoy margins of six points or larger against Donald Trump right now. Now, we know what that means. Uh, you know, in, in, it has meant re- it really in uh, previous elections and cycles and polling and so on and so forth, not a whole lot. But it is very interesting to me that Joe Biden, who leads the way, along with uh, five other Democrats, would beat Donald Trump in a head-to-head if the election were held right now, according to uh, the most recent surveys. I think it was. Yeah, they may want to take a look at the polls that were done just prior to the 2016 election, (laughs) where Hillary had 11, 12-point leads. (laughs) And believe me, these days, the reluctance to give pollsters accurate data and responses has intensified. Very, very well said. Very true. Peter Kirsten, my friend, thanks so much for coming on on an off day. I appreciate that, sir. We'll talk again next week.
Take care, Bob. You got it. 1030. Let's get news time now. Uh, and on the other side of that, Congressman Bill Johnson returns to the program. It's been a while since I've talked to the congressman on the air. Looking forward to this coming up next. Right. Onward at 1035. Thanks to Peter Kirsten out. Thanks to Dr. Everett Piper. I told you we were loaded up with great guests today, and that is going to continue right now. But before I bring our guest onto the program, just a little reminder. With thy blessing, we shall prevail over the unholy forces of our enemy. Help us to conquer the apostles of greed and racial arrogances. Lead us to the saving of our country and with our sister nations into a world unity that will spell a sure peace, a peace invulnerable to the schemings of unworthy men. That's just part of a small excerpt of the D-Day prayer read to the nation by President Roosevelt. Uh, on the eve of D-Day, 75 years ago, and it was uh, just one month ago that we held a very, very important banquet, the Spring Freedom Banquet, put on uh, each, uh, actually twice a year by the Ohio Christian Alliance and one of the keynote speakers at that wonderful event that I was uh, fortunate enough uh, to be uh, asked to MC was Congressman Bill Johnson, who joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Congressman, good to have you back, sir. How have you been? Good morning, Bob. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. I just wanted to remind everybody about the uh, the words that we're talking about here. Those words, those prayer, that prayer rather, and those pleas with the Almighty to um, to bring us victory, to protect our men who went to battle uh, 75 years ago to try to liberate Europe and thus liberate the world from Nazi tyranny. Those are the words that we are looking to have carved onto a plaque that will be added to the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C., and that's why you were at the Freedom Banquet, and you uh, told such a phenomenal story about the importance of prayer and the importance of faith and uh, and belief in God into our efforts uh, uh, to win on that day. And uh, I know this means an awful lot to you, uh, Congressman Johnson. I wanted to see if you can give us a little update. Wow. Uh, Bob, I tell you, you know, the, the title of, first of all, thank you for those kind words. Uh, my faith does inform, uh, everything that I do, the way that I go about my job. I was, I was extremely honored to have been asked, uh, by Chris Long to, uh, to, to lead the legislative charge in the House, uh, to get this project done, to get the prayer, uh, uh put on the World War II memorial. Um, but I can tell you, you know, the 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 uh, the title of the prayer became known as "Let Our Hearts Be Stout," you know. And I tell you, that that became very very upfront and personal uh, this past week on June sixth of last week when I was in Normandy uh, for the seventy fifth anniversary of the D Day landing. Uh, I was reminded of the prayer. Uh, and I was reminded of the sacrifices because it took stout hearts to accomplish what our brave men did. Did you know, and I didn't know this, Bob, did you know that over 90% of the first wave were just mowed down and slaughtered as they stepped off of those landing crafts? We heard from one veteran that told us that their marching orders that morning when they disembarked from the Navy ships to get on their landing craft 
uh, they were told, you're probably going to die. Try to take out two obstacles before you go down. Can you imagine the intestinal fortitude and the faith and the love that it took to do that? I tell you, Bob, we just we 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 are not doing a good enough job of remembering that generation and uh, and the price that they paid for our freedom. You know, to answer your question, Congressman, no. Uh, I can't understand the intestinal fortitude, the courage, the willingness to do this. If you were in that first wave, as you said, the moment those ramps came down... Um, they were they were just riddled. I I, I was I've watched three documentaries. I uh, watched them over the course of D Day uh, on the fifth, sixth, and seventh last week. While you and I'm going to ask you more about your experience there in Normandy. But I all I could experience it was for, was from my TV on and three different documentaries and listen to survivors tell the story and to listen to those and, and to actually see the old grainy black and white footage of that happening. Uh, they said it was like literally shooting fish in a barrel. They had nowhere to go. They were on that landing craft 20, 30, 40 deep, uh, and, and there was nowhere to go. They were all trying to move forward, but the bodies in front of them or the guys in front of them were, were being hit and clogging it up. And it was just literally, there was, it, it had to be the easiest thing in the world for the Germans to do. And these boys, and I, I emphasized that on the night of the Freedom Banquet, uh, that you and I both, uh, uh, attended and, and participated in, those boys knew exactly what they were walking into and and did so. Uh, I, I cannot fathom that, uh, Congressman. I, 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 you know, and, and, and as much as we try to to shine the light of heroism upon all of them and to shine a light on their sacrifice, there aren't words. I don't know that they exist in our in our language. I don't know that the emotions exist in our human biology or psychology. I don't know if those things exist to really explain how how that must have felt, Congressman. I, I don't. I don't think we do. I don't think we can imagine it. I don't think we can uh, put it in a in a movie. Uh, you know, we've seen the documentaries. You referred to those. Uh, you know, the movie Saving Private Ryan is about as realistic uh, account as uh, as you're going to see um, uh, in uh, in in current movies. Uh, that uh, and and some of the veterans told us that was that was very realistic. And it was very, very difficult for them uh, to watch that uh, that movie. And and I can tell you that you know we spoke to some veterans, um, and and uh, when we were there last week, um, some members of Congress had lost loved ones. For example, in the Battle of the Bulge, and one member mentioned to uh, to a group of veterans uh, that they had lost their uncle in the Battle of the Bulge, and those veterans said, "Oh yeah, we were there too." And we said, now, wait a minute. You mean you survived the D-Day landing and the slaughter that took place on the, the, the beaches of Normandy? And then you went on to fight and survive uh, uh, probably the other most bloody and costly battle to American lives in the Battle of the Bulge? And they said, well, hadn't thought about it that way, but yes, we did. Uh, so I, I tell you, uh, it, it is... It is, uh, you know, I, I'm not Moses. I never stood on the sacred ground where the burning bush was, but but standing beside those veterans that uh, that that fought and survived in those situations in World War II, it's almost like standing on 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 sacred ground. 
I think that's very well said. Uh, it is about as close as we can find, I think, to sacred ground um, uh, when you talk when you talk about the sacrifices and 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 what that led to, which of course is the liberation of not only France but of all of Europe, and eventually the end of the the Nazi war machine. We're talking to Congressman Bill Johnson, who is the uh, sponsoring legislator in the House. It was uh, Congre- it was uh, Senator Rob Portman who sponsored it in the uh, Senate. Uh, the uh, bill to uh, be able to add the D-Day prayer, which was read to the nation by FDR on the eve of D-Day in 1944, to the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. Uh, and uh, we got to remind everybody about the, the clock ticking on this. This was signed into law by President That's Obama important. in 2014, and it's got a seven-year expiration date, which is coming up in 2021, Congressman. Yes, that is very, very important, uh, and I'm glad you brought that up, Bob, because uh, we need people. And, and Bob, I, I, I presume you're going to tell them how to get a, a contribution in if they're inclined to do so. Not only will uh, I tell them that, sir, I just tweeted it to them in response to your tweet about your appearance here as well, and that is a link to the webpage, which is ddayprayerproject.org. That's where you can go to click the Donate button and donate to, uh, to get this, uh, uh, this, uh, this prayer added to the memorial. I'm sorry. Continue, sir. Well, please, please do that. Let me encourage your listeners. Please do that. Any amount uh, will be helpful. And, uh, and, and I can tell you, you know, the, the, the total cost that we have to raise is, uh, is roughly three million. Um, and as Bob said, that, uh, that clock is ticking. And if we don't get this money raised and the project is not finished by 2021, then we have to start all over again. And, uh, that, that would be so disrespectful for, uh, for the, the brave men and women, uh, who, who still live that went through that uh, that experience of uh, of the D-Day landing and, and driving tyranny uh, off the continent of, uh, of Europe. So I encourage everybody, do what you can. Uh, let's let's respect and pay tribute to, to the to the thousands that were lost uh, in that operation. And uh, and and thank God in the process that uh, that that what was accomplished was accomplished, and um, and we live to see brighter days. Congressman, um, I know you've already given me a little bit of it, but um, the the experience of standing on, on that sacred ground, but uh, give us a little bit more of what it was like to be there, particularly on this 75th anniversary. We, we heard the president's speech in its entirety, and Hugh Hewitt carried it because of the time uh, of uh, you know the time zone differences, and we listened to that here, and we got a real sense of the somberness of it and the seriousness of it. But uh, do, do you almost feel like you were reliving history when you were there? Uh, and, and I don't mean to make this sound like a movie; I really don't. But I mean, I almost feel like if you stand among those crosses and those stars of David, and you and you stand on the beach, and you and you remember. Uh, you know that that the, the 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 ocean literally was red with the blood of these these boys. It it flowed like that. Uh, you, you you probably could hear in your head if you tried. You could probably hear the sound of the machine gun fire, the sound of the mortars oh, exploding. I, it, it's just it's it's hard to it's hard to grab. It really is. But you were there. See what you can do with that. Yeah, it 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 really was, and it was. Uh, you described it well. You. I found myself literally sitting there, closing my eyes, and uh, and listening. And in my head, I could hear the machine gun fire and the mortars and the screams. 
And, uh, you know, uh, I mentioned that 90% of the first wave uh, of American troops were killed as they tried to disembark and get on the beach. Um, there's over 9,000 graves right there at Omaha Beach at the cemetery. And uh, uh, many of those graves, uh, a thousand or more of those graves are unknown. They're unmarked. Uh, they've got crosses on them, but, uh, but they just pay tribute to a soldier. They don't know the person's name. The annihilation, the destruction was so uh, uh, or comprehensive. Um, there were bodies that were completely destroyed. Uh, there was no way to identify who they were. And so there's, there's probably close to 10,000 that are still missing from that operation, and they believe uh, you know, close to 2,000 of those are buried in the cemetery there, um, uh, but they don't know who they are, so they can't clear the missing roles. Um, uh, a, a photograph of several uh, Ohio soldiers that had uh, perished uh, there at uh, Omaha Beach. And um, uh, it, was, it was very surreal uh, to be there. You know, I, I think very few people, and I didn't even realize this, you don't take in the magnitude of it. I heard the Army Chief of Staff say not too long ago, from the 6th of June, the D-Day landing, through the end of the month of, of June, in, in a little over three weeks, Bob, 453,000 human beings lost their lives in World War II. Uh, that included D-Day and all of the fighting in the early days of driving Germany out of, uh, of France. 453,000. That's 18,000 plus per day over that period of time. Isn't that, isn't that an unbelievable? It's almost incomprehensible, is what it is. It is, um, it yeah. is just uh, remarkable, and uh, I'm, I'm so glad you, you came back on to share uh, that with us and your experiences there, uh, Congressman Bill Johnson. And I want to end our conversation by reminding everybody again to get this, uh, get this thing done. Uh, we have the uh, deadline again. It's got to be done by 2021. Three million dollars has to be raised. None of this can come from federal funds because of the nature of it being a prayer added to an existing memorial, uh, such as the World War II memorial. So we've got to all this money privately and uh, D-Day Prayer Project donations can be made online at ddayprayerproject.org and help bring the vision that Chris Long had and that uh, Congressman Johnson and Senator Portman uh, were extraordinarily important parts of uh, bring that to reality so the future generations can understand the importance that God and prayer and faith played in uh, in helping us to liberate the world essentially. Congressman Bob one final one final statement. Yes sir. Please folks don't forget, freedom is not free. It has been paid for with the blood of, of Americans uh, for uh, ever since the founding of our country. Don't take our freedoms for granted. And we should be living a life today that earns the sacrifices that they made. And if we do that, I think everybody will wake up with a different attitude. Such an important reminder that is very well said congressman thank you much sir i appreciate you coming on we'll try to get you back on a little bit uh, sooner than last time all right thanks very all much right. god bless bob 
You got it. That's Congressman Bill Johnson joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. We do. We need to talk to him more frequently. Uh, his schedule doesn't always mesh with ours, but we really want to try to get him back on. This is a very important project that he's a part of. 1051, final break of the morning. We'll come back with the last segment next on AM 1420, The Answer. Bob France, here on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten fifty four. Final segment of the broadcast is upon us. Thanks again for uh, uh, to all of our guests for joining us. Uh, phenomenal conversations today from Doctor Everett Piper, from um, Peter Kersenow, and of course just from uh, Congressman Bill Johnson. I told you we were loaded with guests. Not a lot of time for phone calls today, so my apologies for that. We'll try to uh, ease up on. That. <laughs> Excuse me, ease up on that a little bit on Friday. A little programming note tomorrow. Uh, our good friend Rob Walgate from the uh, Ohio Roundtable, American Policy Roundtable, and the Public Square uh, Broadcast Network is going to be uh, sitting in for me. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, another day of, uh, of uh, well, important college visits with my son tomorrow. So I'll be uh, out of town again down in Cincinnati. So my friend Rob Walgate will be in to entertain and inform and educate you about the matters uh, that are most important to you. And speaking of matters most most important to all of us, I want to wrap today by reminding you again of our appeal. We have committed, okay, I want to make sure you understand this. When I talk about ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom, we have committed to finding 45 listeners in the month of June. So we need, you know, what, about uh, one and a half a day, essentially, um, to donate $100 each to support Alliance Defending Freedom in our our, uh, campaign to help those who help us. Because I've told you the story of Bernal Stutzman. I've told you the story of Jack Phillips. I told, I've told you the story of countless, the Lyceum right here locally in South Euclid. The number of individuals, employees, business owners, um, students um, who have been targeted for their religious beliefs and, and who are being forced essentially into accepting things that violate their beliefs and participating things that violate their beliefs under penalty of law, under penalty of fines and possible imprisonment, as well as, of course, things like job loss, having businesses closed down. And it's going on all over the country. And, you know, they're coming for for those other people now that I've told you. What are you going to do when they come for you? What are they going to do when they come for somebody you know, somebody you care about who's got a business, somebody who's put into a a situation like this, a student at a school who's forced to be in unsafe circumstances? Um, because of somebody else's uh, psychological disorders. I mean, all of these things continue to happen. What are you going to do when they come for you? You're going to count on Alliance Defending Freedom because they're the, the organization that takes these cases free of charge to the clients. But it does cost a lot of money to try these cases, to win in court all the way to the Supreme Court if that's what must, must be done, which they are doing. So this station is committed to finding 45 donors, and we need 24 more. So we are doing a great job. When I say we, I mean you are doing a great job in stepping up here and donating. So if you can be today's next two or three donors to donate $100 to the Alliance Defending Freedom, then I need you to call the phone number right now. All right, I need you to call and tell them that you stand with um, uh, religious freedom. You stand with those who uh, stand with us, and that's what Alliance for, uh, Defending Freedom does. 
800-691-8969 is the number. 800-691-8969. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. If you can afford to spend more than $100 of tax-deductible donations, please do so. If you can do two or 300 uh, by all means, uh, please make that commitment. And if you can't do quite 100 but you can do 50 please make that commitment. Again, it's all tax-deductible, and it all goes to fighting for you uh, when this comes to your neighborhood, when this comes to someone in your life. We ask you uh, to be one of those donors, as I said. Give what you can give, and we need to raise that money by the end of the month of June. This appeal is one month long, and it's so very important to in the entire year of Alliance Defending Freedom uh, uh, helping people like you and me every single day. So please, uh, take care of this now. Call the phone number. Do not hesitate. It's 800. And you can, if you don't want to do it by phone, by the way, if you have a computer in front of you, I'll give you that in a second, but it's 800 691 8969 If you'd rather do it with your keyboard in front of you, maybe you've got your phone out and you're on your browser, just tap out whkradio.com in your little browser window there and URL address, and then uh, click the Alliance Defending Freedom banner at the top of the page. Just that simple. It'll take you right to the donation page. You can choose the amount you want to donate to defend freedom, to defend liberty, to defend faith, to defend uh, Christianity. Judaism, whatever it is that you celebrate that is under threat by um, progressive forces looking to take that away from you. That is uh, the last thing that I have for you today. The good news is Mike Gallagher is waiting in the wings. Coming up next, he will take you until Prager time. Then you're going to have Dr. G, Dr. Gorka, Jay Sekulow, Larry Elder. Stay here all day, all night for the best in conservative news, talk, and analysis without the buffoonery you get in other places in this town. So thanks very much for being a part of it today. We'll see you tomorrow on the Bob. Actually, Rob Walgate will see you tomorrow on the Bob France Authority, and I will talk to you again live on Friday. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.